0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Uh, there is a famous and a little bit spooky short story written by British author Somerset Maugham called The Appointment at Samara. The Appointment at Samara, you may have read it in high school lit class. The story is about a Middle Eastern merchant in Baghdad who sends his servant to the market to get some food. And the servant is jostled in the crowd, and so he turns around to see who's pushed him, and it's death. He's facing death And so he's scared and he bolts, he races for home, he asks his master if he could borrow a horse, he's got to get away from death, and he rides off to a little village called Samara. Samara, well, the the merchant's a bit upset by this whole deal and so he goes to the marketplace and he tracks down death and he says, why did you threaten my servant? And death said, "I, I didn't threaten your servant, I was merely surprised to see him in Baghdad. You see, I've got an appointment with him tonight in a little place called Samara. You get the point of the story. We're all going to meet death one day. Could be soon. No matter if we're 15 or 35 or 65, there's no escaping it. In the closing chapters of the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon asks us to think about that. Now think about it. Don't forget it. He wants our impending death to guide the choices that we make in this life. He wants us to start with the end in mind and then to work our way backward into each day, to live life backward. Welcome to the fourth and the final week of our series in Ecclesiastes. If you got a Bible, I hope you brought one with you, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter nine. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We have been preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes, and I hope you've been reading through the book of Ecclesiastes during the week. If you've been following Christ Community Church's Bible-savvy reading schedule, that's where we've been. By the way, now that we're done with the book of Ecclesiastes, our schedule turned the corner this last week and uh, we are now in a New Testament epistle, a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's a lot easier to understand than Ecclesiastes. So praise God for 1 Corinthians. If you haven't gotten started as a Bible reader yet, I would encourage you to pick up one of those Bible-savvy journals you could get at the bookshop at any one of our four campuses. Bible-savvy journal and get started this week, or just uh, download the CCC app on your phone, and it's got a Bible-savvy journal, journal with it. Well, Ecclesiastes author King Solomon can sound like a pessimistic, glass-half-empty sort of guy, but actually, he's just a realist. He's a realist, and one of the things Solomon is very realistic about is death. We're, we're all going to die And my death and your death, no matter our age, could be right around the corner. So if your Bible is open to Ecclesiastes 9, let me read to you a couple of verses from the opening portion of the chapter. We're going to pick it up at verse 2. Solomon says, All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who don't. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so, so it is with those who are afraid to take them. And this is the evil, meaning this is the bad part. This is the bad part of everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The same destiny overtakes all. What is that destiny? Call it out. Death. Death. Now, some of you are thinking, whoa, this Solomon dude, he gets drearier and drearier with every passing chapter of his book. Like, what possible blessing or benefit could come out of a focus on the fact that we're all going to die someday? One Bible scholar by the name of David Gibson, he sums up the benefits of Solomon's death focus in his book, Living Life Backward. That's where I stole the title for today's sermon, and we've got that book on sale at Resource Uh, Living Life Backward, Dr. Gibson writes, Ecclesiastes teaches us to live life backward. It encourages, encourages us to take the one thing in the future that's certain, our death, and to work backward from that point into all the details and decisions and heartaches of our lives and to think about them from the perspective of the end. He continues, he says, It is the destination that makes sense of the journey. The destination makes sense of the journey. If we know for sure where we're heading, then we can know for sure what we need to do before we get there. Ecclesiastes invites us to let the end sculpt our priorities and goals, our greatest ambitions, and our strongest desires. Okay, practically speaking, what does living life backward mean? What does it look like? Here here are five things we can do if we want to take Solomon's advice to live life life backward and put it into into practice. And all five things come out of Ecclesiastes 9, 10, 11, and 12. So number one, if you haven't taken the outline from your program yet, I encourage you to take it out, fill it in as we go along. What are the five things uh, we can do that will help us live life backwards? Number one, enjoy blessings. Enjoy blessings. And this has been a repeating theme of Ecclesiastes. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. Now, how do we do that? Well, on the one hand, uh, Solomon would say, we got to be careful not to chase the wrong things. He warns us against chasing education and career achievements and material prosperity, chasing special relationships, chasing fun activities, because if we chase those things, Solomon says, as an end in themselves, If we chase those things as an end in themselves, we're gonna be disappointed. They're gonna let us down. We're gonna discover the juice isn't worth a squeeze. But on the other hand, Solomon tells us that if we'll make it our major ambition in life to chase after God, to chase after God, then God will give us the ability as a gift to enjoy everything else in life. You following this? You chase all that other stuff, you come up empty. You chase God, and you not only get God, but thrown into the deal, you get the capacity to enjoy everything else. And again, this is a repeating theme in the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, it pops up here in chapter 9, you know, just after Solomon makes the point that we're all going to die. Drop down to verse 7, he continues. He says, so go eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Now, Are you following Solomon's line of reasoning here? First he says, you're going to die. And then he says, so in the meantime, enjoy whatever blessings God gives you the ability to enjoy. Now, on the surface, this sounds, doesn't it, like the the pleasure-seekers motto, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you shall die. Is that that what Solomon is, is saying here? Is he saying, live it up while you can, because you may be dead tomorrow. Now Solomon is saying something much more profound than that. Let let, let me try to explain. Sometimes we live as if this life is all there is. And so we've gotta squeeze every bit of pleasure out of it that we can. We gotta fill our days with shopping and travel and eating out and cheering on our favorite sports team and Instagramming and working out and throwing birthday parties for our kids. And Solomon would say, these are all good things. These are all good things, But we tend to pursue them like they're the most important things. We we tend to pursue them and depend upon them as if they can make us happy and fulfilled. But they can't make us happy and fulfilled, not ultimately. They leave us with a hole in our heart. So, So here's what we need to do, Solomon says. We need to remind ourselves every day that this life is not all there is. We need to remind ourselves every day that we're going to die someday, maybe someday soon, and allow that realization to help us put all those good things in proper perspective. We'll stop chasing them as if they're ultimate things, as if they're the most important things in our lives, and we'll reserve that top spot for chasing God, for serving God, as if that's the most important thing in life, because it is. And when we begin to do that, Solomon says, surprise God gives us the ability to enjoy all those other things as well in moderation, in moderation, because we're no longer chasing after them as if our happiness and fulfillment depends on them. You get it? Good. David Gibson, in his book, Living Life Backward, he, he writes, when we accept in a deep way that we're going to die, that reality can stop us expecting too much from the good things we pursue we learn to pursue them for what they are in themselves rather than w- what we need them to be to make us happy that's really profound stuff when we accept in a deep way that we're going to die that reality can stop us stop us from expecting too much from all the good things we pursue you know I, I don't know if you've noticed this before but you know our contemporary american culture is all about excess isn't it it's about more 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 more. So if one vacation a year is fun, well let's take three, let's take four, let's take five, let's get away every three-day weekend, let's take another cruise, let's go someplace exotic. If we enjoy one glass of wine, well let's order the whole bottle, let's drink it down to the bottom, let's join wine of the month club. You know, if our kids are enrolled in some extracurricular activity and having a good time, let's sign them up for everything. You know, whatever sport is in season, a ballet, karate, music lessons, you name it. You know, if we relax watching a football game on the weekend, let's watch one football game after another. You know, every college game, every pro game this weekend, we're going to watch hour after hour after hour of football. If we find that working out gives us a healthy body, well, let's join a gym, let's get a trainer, let's get into a kickbox class, let's do this two hours every day. If we get excited by buying a new pair of shoes, oh, goodness, let's fill our closet full of shoes. Let's go to the outlet mall that's got three or four, five or six shoe stores. Excess. Access, I, I read an interesting story in the news just a couple weeks ago about a young mom. She's got a six-year-old daughter, and she wanted to reward her for doing her chores, so she gave her, uh, her Amazon password to order a Barbie online. A few days later, a truck shows up <laughs> and unloads, I think we got a picture of this, unloads, yeah, <laughs> box after box after box of Barbie dolls and toys. Little girl went on a shopping spree where did she learn that kind of behavior excess excess you know how solomon would diagnose a problem solomon would say friends when we chase after whatever whatever never fills the hole in our heart <laughs> and so that's why we got to keep pursuing more and more and more and more of whatever but no amount of whatever is ever enough? Oh, Solomon would say, oh, if we would just stop for one moment and consider the fact that the whate- whatever's in our lives are also so temporal, they, w- they won't mean a thing when it comes time to die. The bears won't mean a thing. The newest iPhone won't mean a thing. Getting into the college of your choice won't mean a thing when it comes time to die. Solomon would say, live life backward, and then you'll be motivated to pursue God first and foremost. And then god will give you the ability to enjoy the whatever's as good things but not as the most important things in your life you still with me number two get wisdom living life backwards means getting wisdom now back to ecclesiastes we finished with chapter nine let's move on to chapter 10. chapter 10 is filled with some uh, pithy short uh, wise sayings in fact chapter 10 reads a lot like the book of proverbs uh, which makes sense considering the fact that Solomon wrote both books now we're not going to take the time to read through Ecclesiastes 10. Hopefully you did that on your own this past week if you were following our bible savvy reading schedule but lots of lots of wise sayings in this chapter you know verse 4 talks about how to deal with an ornery superior you might be able to use that at work right Verse 6 warns us about the danger of putting foolish people into leadership. I hope you read verse 6 before you went to the polls this last week. Verse 10 describes the importance of working smarter, not just harder. Verse 12 advises us to talk less. Uh, Verse 20 cautions us not to gossip. See, lots of wise sayings. Again, just like the book of Proverbs. Uh, My dad... Uh, who turns 94 in a week and a half Uh, dad has been reading through the the book of proverbs every month for years in fact for decades and so he just starts with chapter one there are 31 chapters in the book of proverbs 31 days in most months so he reads through the book of proverbs and then starts over again next month so reads through proverbs a dozen times a year and again has done it for for decades which is why he's such a wise man Now, Solomon has a lot to say in the book of Ecclesiastes about the importance of wisdom. Uh, Clayton taught a whole sermon on this last weekend. I encourage you, if you missed it, in fact, anything you missed in this Ecclesiastes series, go back and recap it. You could find it online. What does getting wisdom have to do with living backward? Simply this, when we keep the end in mind, When we keep the brevity of our life, the certainty of our death in mind, then we won't want to waste a single day to living foolishly. We won't want to waste a single day to living foolishly. We'll want to set wise goals. We'll want to make wise decisions. We'll want to engage in wise relationships. Now, imagine this analogy here. Suppose that you're chosen to be a contestant in a game show, and this this game show is filmed at a huge department store. And here's the deal. They give you a shopping cart, and they give you 10 minutes to put anything in the shopping cart you could want. Okay, 10 minutes. And then at the end of the 10 minutes, what they're going to do, they're going to calculate what what you put in your shopping cart, the value, the worth, and uh, how well you did is determined on how many valuable things you landed. All right, so, so if this is you and you're going to participate in, in, in this, are you going to just show up the day of the contest and haphazardly wander through the store? Of course you won't. What are you going to do? You're going to go a few days early, right, and scope out that department store. You want to know where the really valuable stuff is. You're, you're going to map it in your head so you know how to get from aisle to aisle and haul the, the best stuff into your cart, You've only got 10 minutes. You want to make every minute count. And that's why Solomon encourages us to get wisdom in Ecclesiastes. Life is short. Life is short. So make every day count. Live each day wisely by saturating your mind, your heart, with God's wisdom, God's word. That means not only the book of Proverbs. That means all of Scripture. Get yourself a Bible-savvy reading schedule and get after it. The Apostle Paul writes to a young friend named Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 through 17. He says, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise... The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, Paul says, is God-breathed, and so it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness in order that the servant of God, that's you and me, in order that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, friends, when we read and study and discuss in a community group and apply and obey the the Bible, we start living wisely. And that means, listen to me, it means far fewer regrets in this life. It means far fewer coulda, woulda, shouldas. You know, I look back, for example, I look back on my high school years. I want to talk for just a moment to those of you who are middle school and, and high school students. And I wish, I wish I could have high school as a do over. You know, I, I knew about Jesus back then, but I wasn't following Jesus. I wasn't living according to the wisdom of his word. And so I did a lot of stupid things, things I now regret, but I can't get those four years back. They're gone. I didn't live wisely. You know, those of you who are parents of, of young kids, you know, let me speak to you for a moment as a, a dad of three grown kids. These child raising years are going to fly by. They're going to fly by. And I know you're thinking to yourself, if you've got a two year old who doesn't sleep through the night right now, I wish they would fly by. But I've got to tell you, that two year old, she's going off to college like tomorrow. Just wait. It's what it's, it's going to feel like and then she's going to start a home of her own she's going to be out from under your roof you got a very short time to raise her in a wise are you going to raise her wisely or are you going to raise her with regrets See how this works? You you live backwards. You begin with the realization that that your life could end sooner than you think, or at least the stages of your life are going to end sooner than you think. So let that motivate you to get wisdom from God's Word so that you can make the most of every day. Number three, what does it mean to live backward? I tried to come up with a better phrase here. This sounds uh, so plain try something but that's the best i could do try something back to ecclesiastes we're moving on to chapter 11 now and in in the opening verses of this chapter solomon seems to be addressing the person who's scared of taking risks you know what if they try something and it doesn't work look at verse 4. solomon says whoever watches the wind will not plant You know, the farmer goes out and he says, oh, oh, it's kind of too windy a day. What if it blows my seed around? Maybe not today. He continues, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. could rain today, and it better not go out and work on the farm. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So sow your seed in the morning and at evening. Let your hands not be idle, for you don't know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. I love this Solomon guy. He is so so practical. He gives us a push from behind. You know, he's saying here, your life is soon going to be over, so try something that you've been hesitating to try. Maybe it'll work. Okay, maybe it won't work, but leave the outcome to God and go for it. You've heard the saying before, ready, aim, fire. I've discovered some people in life, you know, are a little impulsive. They don't do ready, aim, fire. They do ready, fire, ready, fire. But others of us, we're, we're at the other end of the spectrum. We're a bit overly cautious. We think things through, and we think, and we think, and we think, and we think, and, we think and, and, and our motto is not ready, aim, fire. It's ready, aim, 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 aim. We never fire, never pull the trigger. Is that you? Have you been thinking for a while about something you'd like to do, but, but you just haven't tried it? Maybe it's taking guitar lessons. Maybe it's serving in Kids World. Every time you drop a child off or you're an older adult who sees children running around our our building, you say, "Ah, I don't know, sign up for Kids World. You just have never done it. Maybe it's enrolling your dog in dog training. Maybe it's attending FPU, Financial Peace University, and finally putting together a budget. Maybe it's reading the Bible with your family. You've always thought that would be a good idea to read our Bible, but you haven't done it yet. Maybe it's volunteering at Wayside Cross's homeless shelter. Maybe it's getting your high school diploma. Maybe it's inviting a friend to church. Maybe it's reconciling with a person you've been at odds with. You keep thinking that would be a good idea, but you never take the first step. And Solomon would say, do you really want to get to the end of your life not having tried something you always felt you should? I was on my way uh, to the doctors, one of the doctors, a specialist that I, I see this past week. And as always, I'm in my car praying, hey, God, make the most of that appointment. Uh, le- let me bring you up in conversation. I love to talk about Jesus with people uh, because I know that Jesus is the means by which we find forgiveness and uh, new life and a relationship with God. And uh, my doctor, I've seen the same this same specialist for 10 years now. And he's a very kind man, a gentle man, but he's quick. Okay? He he gets in and he gets out. He's got lots of patience he's got to see. So the the time is very abbreviated. And in the past, I've prayed that same prayer. You know, God brings something up in conversation, but it, it never materializes. And so, so this time around, the, the Lord gave me an idea. Just recently, I ordered 50 copies of the Gospel of Mark online. I went looking for a really attractive little uh, gospel, and this is what I found. By the way, we're, we're going to start selling these at our bookshop. So if you want to pick these up, a handful of them up. And I've been giving them away to people, not, not just anybody. It's not like I'm standing on a street corner passing them out. But if I'm in conversation with somebody and have an opportunity, I offer them a copy of the Gospel of Mark. So I thought, I'm to do that with my doctor so I get in there and the appointment was really quick and to the point again and he was reaching for the door saying goodbyes whoa doc I got something for you and I pulled out a gospel of Mark and I said I love to read and uh, my favorite book is the Bible because it's really changed my life and this little gospel of Mark is an excerpt from the Bible. It's one of the four biographies of Jesus. It's the shortest one. In fact, if you'll read one chapter a day, take you five minutes, one chapter a day, you could finish it in two weeks. And I gave it to him, and he said, wow, is this in the Bible? I said, it's in the Bible. He said, I'll read it. I will. He said three or four times, I'll read it. And then he added, and this is the cool part. He said, oh, by the way, Jim, next time you come to see me, it won't be me you're seeing because I'm retiring. I'm going to hand you off to another doctor. And I thought to myself as I drove away, I had no idea when I stepped into that appointment that this would be my last connection with this guy. My last opportunity to do something I've been thinking about doing for a long time. You know, to bring up God in the conversation, to give him something that would point him in the direction of Jesus. What are you you thinking about, thinking about, thinking about? Solomon would say, life is short. Do it. Do it. Number four, what does live life backwards look like? Worship God. You know, back to Ecclesiastes. We've now made it to the final chapter, chapter 12. Look at at the opening verse, verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them now the key word in this verse is the word remember if you got your own Bible circle it remember Solomon repeats this key word later on in chapter 12 drop down to verse 6 he says remember him okay remember God before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken this is just poetic language remember God before you get old before you die. Now, what does it mean to remember God? Well, Solomon is not using the word remember like we often use the word. You know, remember your garage code or remember to brush your teeth. You know, remember what you studied for your history test. Remember to keep your dentist appointment. Now when he says remember God, he's referring to taking the time to reflect, to savor who God is and what God has done, and to worship God accordingly. That's what it means to remember God. It's a robust word. The psalmist says in Psalm 77 verses 11 and 12, he says, I will remember, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works. I will meditate on all your mighty deeds. You know, the Bible even instructs us in the fourth commandment. This is the fourth of the big ten. To set aside one day a week to gather with other believers and to focus on God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It's to be holy to the Lord. So says commandment number four. Remember. Set aside a special day every week for worshiping God. Commandment number four. That's why we gather every weekend at Christ Community Church. Now, there's something else I want you to note about this remembering God that Solomon mentions in chapter 12, verse 1. Solomon says that we should establish this pattern of remembering, of worshiping God when we're young. You see that in the second half of verse 1. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. In other words, don't wait until you're you're older to make a habit of worshiping God. don't don't say well you know I'm in high school church is just not cool so you you check out you know when I get a little bit older I'll get into this Solomon says no now you know you you don't say well you know I'm single and I'll make it to church when I can but you know Saturday nights I'm out late Sunday morning I sleep in Solomon says no now start setting this habit this pattern of worshiping God Say, well, you know, I got young kids. You know how hard it is to get young kids ready for church, get, get them fed, get them dressed, get them in the car, get them to Kids World. Solomon would say, yeah, yeah it's hard, but do it now. Set the pattern now now my kids are older and we're all so busy and we're going different directions and Solomon would say now set the pattern now if you think that you can wait until you're older to make worshiping God a priority guess what Solomon says you'll discover that when you get older the patterns in your life have been set and worshiping God is not part of it and God will be a distant reality and as you get older, you will face hard times, but there won't be any relationship with God to comfort you, to get you through. You know, he says in this chapter, getting old is no, no fun, and you're to you're going to wish that you'd set a pattern of worshiping God. Solomon spends a lot of time in Ecclesiastes 12 describing the physical demise of our bodies as we get older. Take a look at chapter 12. You know, he paints a a very poetic picture of aging. It's also a very pathetic picture. (laughs) Middle of verse 3, he describes a time in later life when the strong men stoop. He's actually talking poetically there about our muscles. We just lose it. He goes on, he says, when the grinders, he's now talking about our teeth, when the grinders cease because they are few. And those looking through the windows, now he's talking about our eyes, those looking through the windows grow dim. Go down to verse 4, middle of the verse. You know, at this stage of life, people rise up at the sound of the birds. Older people just can't sleep like they they used to. And all their songs, the bird songs, grow faint. Our hearing starts to go. Verse 5, middle of the verse. The almond tree blossoms. Almond blossoms are white. He's talking about your hair starts turning white, assuming you've got hair to turn white. (laughs) Now, is, is Solomon exaggerating things as he paints this pitiful picture of aging? Not according to an article I came across this past week in the San Francisco Chronicle that was called The Ravages of Age. The ravages of age. Listen to what this article says about an aging man's body, which is what caught my interest. Starts by saying, men, our bodies peak at age 30. 30. (laughs) How how many of you dudes here are over 30? Come on. Okay, you're on the downhill slide, guys. (laughs) You're past your prime, your peak is, is over, and after that, our bodies begin to deteriorate. We do a little bit of dying, according to this article, every day, losing 1% of our functional capacity every year. Cells are disappearing, tissues are stiffening, chemical reactions are slowing down. By age 70, guys, our body temperature will be two degrees colder, will be an inch or two shorter, and our ears will be longer. What's with that? Some of you women are looking at your guys' ears right now. It's true. Well, just something to look forward to. What, What is Solomon's point in warning us about the aging process? He wants to make sure that we're worshiping God now. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, that we're developing a close relationship with God today before all the aches and pains, before the memory loss sets in, before the bouts of of loneliness and family grief. Who we are today, especially in terms of prioritizing God, will determine who we will be in our old age. You think about that. Who we are today will determine who we will be in our old age. It's like we're we're wet cement that is slowly hardening, and old age comes, and it's hard. You know, Sue Sue said to me the other day, I was in a grumpy mood. It's hard to believe, I know, but uh, she said to me, she said, we don't want to be grumpy at this stage of our lives, do we? Now, when she says we, she means me, okay? Okay. We don't want to be grumpy because, she added, and this was profound, this is straight out of Ecclesiastes, because then we'll be grumpy people when we get old. We'll be old grumpy people. Solomon would say, exactly, my point exactly. I like like the way David Gibson puts it in his commentary on Ecclesiastes Living Life Backward. Gibson says, we are hanging up pictures about the walls of our hearts that we shall have to look at when we sit in the shadows. As a profound metaphor, we are hanging up pictures about the walls of our hearts that we shall have to look at when we sit in the shadows. So what kind of pictures are you hanging on the walls of your heart today? If you're engaged in worship, If you're spending time in God's word, if you're drawing close to Jesus, those are the pictures that are going on the walls of your heart. If you're engaged in sinful behavior, if you're walking in paths of disobedience, those are the pictures you're hanging on the walls of your heart. And one day you're going to have to look at them. That's all you got left. Worship God. Worship God. Fifth and finally, how do we live life backward? Anticipate judgment anticipate judgment. Now, we could do an entire sermon on this point, but I only have time to mention it and then wrap things up. But look at the very closing verses of Ecclesiastes. Okay, this is Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. Now, all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Solomon says, okay, I'm about to wrap things up, guys. Here's, Here's my book, Ecclesiastes, in a nutshell. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, this is a sobering truth. Living backward, listen, living backward means that we regularly bring to mind We're going to die and stand before Almighty God to give an account of our life upon earth. Now, the good news is if you've surrendered your life to Christ, He has paid the penalty for all your sins. And what what is the penalty? Death. Okay, you've heard me explain this many times before. You know, when we go our way instead of God's way, which we do multiple times in the course of a day, What we're doing is disconnecting from God, and God is the source of life. God is the giver of life. When you disconnect from the giver of life, you die. That's the consequence. The wages of sin is death, the Bible teaches. It begins with spiritual death on the inside. Our relationship with God is broken. It leads to physical death at the end of this life, and that then becomes eternal death. That's bad. But God loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus... Jesus gave his life on the cross, laid down his life to take the penalty our sins deserve. The penalty is death. The infinite Son of God took the penalty our sins deserve so that he can offer all who surrender their lives to him forgiveness and new life and a brand new relationship with God. So if you've surrendered your life to Jesus... If you've said, yes, Jesus, I want you to be the Savior and King of my life, you never need fear, eternal condemnation, eternal death for your sins. That's the good news. However, the Bible teaches that we will all stand before God's judgment seat with respect to what we've done on this planet. The Apostle Paul says it this way, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. And Paul is writing this to Christ followers, not to unbelievers. Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due due us for things done while in the body, whether good or bad, all of us. Jesus taught the same thing in his parables. Remember the the parable where Jesus tells the story of a, a homeowner, a master who's going out of town for a while? And so he gathers his servants together and he gives each of them a different sum of money. And he says, I want you to invest this. I want you to make something in return that you'll give back to me when I I come home. And then he goes away. And when he comes back, some of them have done great things with their investment. And so they have something to contribute to Jesus, to give Jesus, who is the master in this story. And others are penalized. You know, the, the, the truth is, as we stand before Almighty God, giving an account for our life, it'll become clear whether we live this life for ourselves or for Jesus. What, what did we do with the relationships he gave us? What did we do with the opportunities to serve him that he gave us? What did we do with the talents and abilities that he gave us? What did we do with the financial resources that he gave us? Maybe we built some wells in Sierra Leone, eh? Did we live for our temporal kingdom or did we live for his eternal kingdom? You know, my parents used to have on the wall of the home I grew up in a plaque. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Riveted on my mind. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Solomon would say, keep that in the forefront of your thinking every day. Let that impact your priorities, what you put on your schedule. Let it impact the words that come out of your mouth, how you spend your free time, what you spend your money on, your relationships, everything. Everything. How do we live life backward? We enjoy blessings. Not as the most important things in our lives. We stop chasing them as if they're ultimate. We, we moderate our chasing of those things and we chase God. We seek to serve God, get to know God. And he, he allows us then to enjoy the, the good things of this life. We get wisdom. We saturate our lives with God's Word so that we don't have to live with regrets, but we're making every day count. We try something. If there's something that, that God has put on our hearts to do, and we've been putting off, putting off doing it, we, we do it. We worship God. We make it a priority, a habit. We safeguard that time. We set it aside each day, and, and once each week, to gather with others we don't wait till we're older to set this pattern in place and then we anticipate judgment and we live for the kingdom of king jesus not the kingdom of self let me close in a word of prayer asking god to allow this to sink into our hearts and lives and then we're going to collect our gifts and sing a closing song that'll help cement this this notion of following god as if we're not going to live here forever but there's something else coming Lord God, as we bow before you, right now I pray for those who've never surrendered to you. And if they begin with the end in mind, the truth of the matter is the end does not look good for them. Because one day they'll stand before your judgment throne. And you'll ask, who will pay for your sins? And they'll have to say, well, I guess I do. Because I never made Jesus my Savior, the King of my life. You know, if that's you right now, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity in the quietness of your heart right now to bend your knee, as it were, and say, I get it. I get it that this life is not all there is and that eternity is very long. And so I want to get it right. I want to give Christ my life. I want to receive what he did for me on the cross in pain for my, my sin. Would you say that to him now from your heart like you mean it? Would you tell him, I I want to learn what it means to live wisely. I want to surrender to Jesus as the king, the leader of my life. I want his word to become my compass. Can you say that to him? Can you surrender to him from your heart of hearts? And if you're a believer, are you living for your kingdom or his? Are you pursuing other stuff as if if it's most important? Or does every day look like like a pursuit of God? What are the things God's prompting you to do that you've been thinking about, thinking about, thinking about? And you know what? Right now, you've got to determine, I'm going to do it. Lord God, help us to learn what it means to live with the end in mind, to live backward. To live with the hope of eternal life that, that impacts the way that we live in the here and now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.